This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have an episode of This Is Our Enemy, which was produced by New York's WOR, the flagship station of the Mutual Network. The series was sponsored by the Office of War Information and was produced under their direction. It was part of the government's propaganda efforts during the war. This episode first aired on May 20th, 1943. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you can find links to past episodes as well as other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. The United States government presents This is Our Enemy. A United Nation goes forward with the determination to win this war and bring about a... But we cannot win our war or make our peace unless we understand the character of the enemy we are fighting. That is why your government is bringing these programs to you. Later, you will hear Wallace Buell, well-known foreign correspondent. This is a program of truth. This is the truth about our enemy. This is the story of a great slip-up. A big mistake our enemy made because of something he doesn't understand. The valor of the human spirit. Czechoslovakia had been taken to Munich without the firing of a shot, the waste of a single German soldier. And I'll just move in and check that country off the problem list. Of course, the Czech people would obey. They were defeated. They were helpless. To honor the National Socialist Party and to pay tribute to Royal Protector von Neurath. All Czech citizens will attend and cheer. Do you see? The text came as ordered. They line the streets and we do not see them much. Ah, that won't show in the pictures. Conrad, you have your camera ready to catch Neurath as he passes by here? Yeah, Herr Colonel. This balcony is the best spot? Yeah. You see there just below us all the little Czech children mm-hmm. in their white dresses and best suits? Yeah, the flowers in their hands. <laughs> yeah, that was my idea. 
When Reich Protector Neurath passes, they will throw the flowers at his feet. Make a fine newsreel shot. Clear mm. evidence. Friendly collaboration. <laughs> Exposing the myth of that democratic start. German rape of Slovakia. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, get ready, Conrad. Yeah, He's coming. Right behind the bend there. That little boy in the front row was selected to give the signal to the other children. He should be ready now. I hope he does not forget. He seemed pleased to be chosen. These weak people flattered by our attention. Ah, there's Neurath. Why doesn't the child... He's put... raising his arm in a signal now. Uh, he's calling out. Here he comes. Turn your backs, everybody. Face the other way. Oh, yes. Yes. Now throw your flowers away from him. <laughs> The Nazis didn't get their pretty pictures. But, after all, revolted the children. What did that matter? The conquerors strode on. Poland. Denmark. Norway. Ah, uh, Norway would be easy. Norway is a Nordic state very much like Germany, France. It is easy to understand the people here and handle them. Yeah, not even language difficulty here. Most of them speak German, I understand. Yeah. Learn it in their schools. It's a required subject. But the Norwegians had thought of that, too. In whispered warnings... Turn your backs on the Germans. Do nothing to help them. If they ask you questions, shake your heads or stare. Their language has become one of blood and lust. We no longer understand it. Say only that to them in our own dear language. Jeg forstar Rikaderis broke. I do not understand German. Make it a theme song of Norway's refusal to give in. You there, girl. Tell me, uh, how do we go to reach the house Jake of... Jeg forstar Rikaderis broke. Oh, where is the... Jeg forstar Rikaderis broke. What is the name of the place? Jeg forstar Rikaderis broke. Annoying, yes. Provoking, inconvenient, insulting. But really of no consequence. Check off Norway. Taken. And move on. Conquerors, look at that altered map with pleasure. All of Europe, ours. All of Europe, yours. But things are happening in some of those captured countries. In Brussels, Belgium. But I tell you, they shout at me in the street. Those Belgian pigs, they insult me. It is not safe to walk alone here if you are charged. I understand, Frau Hartmann, but we are getting many complaints. It's difficult to police everywhere. However, we have worked out a system. If there's any trouble, call us immediately on 22-221 and we will send the motorcycle squadron immediately. Well, it's time you were doing something. It's a disgrace. Number 22-221, you say? I will tell my family and friends. We will put it on the radio tonight so that everyone will know. Heil Hitler for Hartmann.
Germans in Brussels molested on the streets should immediately call number 22-221, and we will send officers. Under no circumstances shall any Belgian call that number. <laughs> Did you hear that, Maria? So we worry them, the master race. Special police to protect the Germans from us. The unarmed, conquered people. Special number. Under no circumstances shall any Belgian call it. Under no circumstances. What is it, Henri? What are you thinking? Oh, no Belgian is to call that number. Wait till I guess Jean and Baptiste. No. No, Henri, they could trace the calls. No. They couldn't trace them from public street boxes, Maria. 22 221. 22 221. Yes? Yes, where? On Montague Street and Avenue Louise? At once. Another complaint. The squad isn't back from the other ship. Yes? 22-221. That's right. What? Throwing stones and using clubs? Another? Everyone is out now on duty. So many calls. We'll send someone when we can, yes. Yeah? 22-221. Yeah? Oh, glad you are back. We are getting four calls a minute. I hope there are better calls than the three we've just been on. What do you mean, better? False alarm. Joke. What? Each call was the same. When we got there, the streets were empty. No complainants, no violators, but on the wall, scrolled in chalk. A V sign. And 1918. Belgium. Obviously. Then all these calls. Yeah, of course. Playing jokes. But degenerate people, they lose a war and yet play stupid jokes on their betters. But don't you see? They do not seem to think we are their betters. They are not acting as though they are afraid of us in spite of... in spite of everything. I do not like that. They ought to be afraid. Perceptive, that Gestapo man. The people... The poor, helpless people should have been afraid, but increasingly they were not. And that was the time the jokes began. And when once the people found that their conquerors were vulnerable, could be tricked, could be fooled, could be laughed at, the Superman myth died in a great hurry. Yes, they joked all over Europe. Gallows humor, the Czechs called it. From Norway comes the story of the Nazi soldiers who get drunk in a coastal village, commandeered a car, and drove wildly through the streets. Finally, they careened down a dark pier and into the sea, promptly sinking. The Gestapo hurried to the scene and questioned an old fisherwoman at the end of the pier. Did you see the car coming? Yes. Well, why didn't you stop it? Why should I? I thought they were on their way to England. Another from Norway. A Norwegian farmer who had 30 hens received a threatening letter from the Germans ordering him to deliver more eggs to the Wehrmacht. Fourteen days later, they got the following reply. Your letter of the first instant was put up in the hen house so that the hens could see it for themselves. When they, after ten days, still had not resumed laying, I had them all shot for sabotage against the National Socialist Party. Yours faithfully. From Holland, the story of an attempted suicide. 
Fed up with conditions, Derek tried to hang himself. But the ersatz rope broke under his weight. Next, he threw himself into a canal. But his ersatz suit, made of wood, kept him afloat. In disgust, he bought some poison. But that was ersatz, too, and had no effect. Finally, he gave up the idea of suicide and started to live on his ration coupon. As a result, he died within a month. From Belgium. Well, I must go home now to listen to the English news. Good night, all. Good night. Wait a minute, not so fast. I'm a Gestapo officer. I overheard you. You listen to the short news? Every day. You know it's a button. Where's your radio? Oh, I haven't got one, but the walls are thin, and I listen to the German officers next door. From Czechoslovakia, the story of a remarkable decision of a town council of loyal Czechs. You all know he must appoint a citizen of this town to serve on the Nazi collaboration committee. Everyone we have approached has refused to accept the honor. What shall we do? Uh, I have a suggestion, Mr. Chairman. Yes, Victor. Uh, why not appoint Hans Gundel? But he is an idiot. What's more, he's practically dumb. Well, that shouldn't stand in the way. All he's expected to do is say yes to everything the Germans propose. As you know, Hans Gundel is of German parentage, and he's the only German we have. Uh, the Germans boast of being a race of supermen, and... According to their opinion, one German is equal to two Czechs, so all we have to say is that we thought that one German idiot would be equal to one normal Czech. Yes, they joked and annoyed the enemy with pinpricks. A Dutch calendar printed all the American holidays in red and ignored the German. Belgians thronged to railroad stations to say goodbye to Jewish friends being deported. Polish stores displayed English books. The Norwegians stayed away from churches where pro-Nazi ministers prayed. The Poles boycotted the movies because the money would go to the Germans. The Dutch cheered their quizzing mustard so loudly, no one could hear his speeches. And so it went. And then the jokes became more than jokes. The gestures more than gestures. The pinprick sharper. For instance, in Holland... See, Beatrix, what I've done. Look at the sign at the crossroads. Looks just like always. No, no, read it, Beatrix. The sign points east, and it says 20 miles to Erdek. It points north, and it says 12 miles to Essen-Hammerdung. But that's wrong. It's north from here to Erdek, and earth from here to Essen-Hammerdung. I know, I know. I've turned it around, and they'll come along, the Germans, and they'll march the wrong way. Here they come. Run down. No, no, I want to watch them. Know the difference, Beatrix? Oh. They're stopping. Twenty miles yet to Munich. Seems we should have been there by now. <laughs> what? What are you laughing for, boy? Come on, come on, run away and stop talking. Yes, sir, Captain. Salute. Hmm? Oh, a smart little Dutchman. Well, you can stay and watch us as we go. It will be just like a parade for you, hmm? Yes, Captain. Thank you, Captain. It will. We take the road to the north. What? <laughs> They're doing the goose step. They will be very tired walking 20 miles out of the way. <laughs> and 20 miles back again. You're a wonderful Donna. <laughs> Still just pranks, you say? 
no. Listen to what followed. Your orders, Captain, were to arrive here at Urdek at 6 p.m. last night. You did not. But, but, Colonel, I... Well, well, I explained that. You did not arrive on time. But I... At 7, the RAF came over. Your men were needed to man several anti-aircraft guns against them. Colonel, I... Your men were not here. The guns were not manned. The British scored two direct hits on the airfield oil tanks and got away scot-free in a twilight rate which we should have been able to stop. I... I... I got... Lost. Lost? But Captain... Yes. On the way here, I... I was misdirected. Misled. By whom, Captain? A, a little Dutch boy and girl. A little Dutch boy and girl. A successful RAF raid. See now why it was more than just a prank. In Poland, this happened. More ruined uniforms, eh? Yeah. You're a chemist, Hans. What do you make of them? These holes were caused by hydrochloric acid. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. It eats right through. These uniforms will have to be replaced. How did it happen? I came to you for that information. No. I told you what did it. Now you tell me who did it. You are the Gestapo. Ah, these fool poles. Got hold of the acid somewhere, threw it on our soldiers' uniforms in crowded places, on streetcars, in marketplaces. Have you caught any of them doing it? No, but we have a sufficient number of utility prisoners already arrested. Uh -huh. We can make examples of them. Charge them with it. We'll find the city a million lottie. What they hope to gain by such a stupid trick is beyond me. Beyond you, Herr Gestapo man? Hmm. Then listen to two of your soldiers a few nights later on the dark, narrow streets of Warsaw. You know, August, I'll be glad when we move on out of the city. Strange things are going on. Are we moving out? I heard we'd be stationed here for months, Paul. I don't like it here. They hate us too much, these Poles. Now they're throwing us. Yeah, I heard about that, too. On uniforms. If it eats through cloth, it wouldn't feel good on skin, would it? Mm -hmm. And if it gets into your eyes... Uh, you've got the jitters bad, Paul. Uh, come on, we turn down here. Wait. What? Into into that dark alley. It's part of our patrol area. Who's to know whether we go down there or not? No one, I guess, but it's it... just the sort of place they'd hide waiting for us. We have got guns. What? Paul. What? Good gun against acid in the eye. You're getting on my nerves, Paul. It's not me, August. It's the pose. If you'll only admit it, we can't seem to kill enough of them to stop their fighting back in sneaky ways. I'm not going down there. If you want to go, go alone. No. No. I guess we can skip that alley tonight. In a basement in that dark alley, three poles were very busy at a hand-turned mimeograph machine. Makes enough noise to wake Hitler and Bert this guy. Hope no one comes this way for the next hour. We've got to get this out tonight. How is it coming, Joseph? Well enough, considering our printing instrument. Listen, we have learned that the German enemy is going to confiscate our warm clothing to send to their men on the Eastern Front. Mm -hmm. Citizens of Warsaw. Burn your woolen clothes and furs 
even if you need them. Keep the enemy from getting them. Mm. Let the German soldiers freeze to death. We shall survive. Good. That should do it. Just watch the chimneys of Warsaw. The chimneys of Warsaw. Yes, smoke poured from them in the next days, and the odor of burning fur and wool hung low over the city. The Nazis got little warmth from that fire. What did the Poles hope to gain with their little frightening stunts? The acid throwing, the lurking in dark corners, the refusal to submit. Do you understand now, Herr Captain of the Gestapo? Oh, mind you, I'm not saying they look this far ahead. Perhaps the Poles themselves saw no connection between burning holes in hated Nazi uniforms and the failure of a Nazi plant confiscation. Maybe they only knew they must resist as best they could, in every way they could, no matter how small. But the resistances formed a little chain, leading to real results. The underground was growing in every country on that altered map. All of Europe, ours! Yes, yours, mine hair, to hold. You can't forget these people of Europe. You can't turn your backs on these slaves. They're chained, yes, but they chain you also. You've got to watch them. You've got to guard. They're learning fast. The resistances now are taking form and real meaning. They're carefully planned out now. Not just luck or coincidence, but planning, plotting. In his broadcast from London to his enslaved country, Foreign Minister Jan Masaryk says, My people, you can serve our country by slowing down production in our plants which the Nazis have seized. Take the Skoda works alone with 40,000 of you. If every one of you there dawdles and takes an extra two minutes when you go to the washroom, the Germans will lose 80,000 minutes of production a day. The Czechs have become masters of discreet sabotage. For every five workmen in the huge Skoda works, the Germans must keep one guard. They cannot send those men to the actual battlefronts against our allies or our soldiers. That is resistance that counts. In France, there is another item of factory resistance worth reporting. In a French war plant taken over by the Nazis. Pierre, mm. this, um, this letter just came in from Berlin. It cancels the order for type CAX bearings. It orders much smaller ones, CA one-half as a substitute. Maria, do you think you could lose that letter? Lose it? The cancellation. The cancellation would be lost, too. The original order will hold, and we'll go right on making the large CAX. If, when they're finished, the Bosch has no use for them. Well, too bad. I think I can lose the letter. In a confiscated Dutch plant, the Dutch manager assured his men... If any of you feel very tired or afraid, perhaps, that you may grow ill, I shall be very glad for you to take time off from the factory, as long as you need. I shall pay you full salary, of course. It is too bad if the work suffers, but, uh, well, it's too bad. <laughs> All of this campaign against the enemy, the victorious enemy, 
does not go on in factories and offices, of course. On a farm in Denmark, they resist. Not with pitchforks, no. With hypodermics. Inject a little of this serum in the cow's leg, you say, Doctor? Yes. I'm not being a good vet, I guess, to help kill cattle instead of cure... But I don't think any Danish cow would want to serve a German master. I know mine wouldn't. They've already requisitioned her. Doc, I think you might stop at Eric's farm and uh, old Gustav's too on your way today. Give them this information. Trustworthy men? Good Danes. Yes, Doc. On these Danish farms, they also fight with the common everyday plow. Plow shallowly, so the land will bear poorly. They fight with oil and vinegar. Sprinkle it on the meat they force you to sell them. It will spoil it. There's widespread sabotage in railway stations also. Though not with dynamite, nor in spectacular head-on collisions maneuvered between two giant locomotives. No, in orders for freight cars. Put in an order for three freight cars to ship equipment on March 1st. But, sir, we won't need three cars then. If we have them, the Germans won't. Oh. Do you see now how the resistance of the little man is beginning to take on shape and purpose? There's a pattern to it today. Across borders, cropping up here and there in this country and that, repeating itself. The same methods, a pooling of ideas and talents, expanding, growing, succeeding. Word gets around by grapevine, underground press, secret radio. The Nazi bully without his blackjack or his gun is helpless. He naturally thought that would be true of other men. He was wrong. Deaf and blind, he still says today. You call our next the world. If he could listen to humanity with understanding, this is what he would hear on the winds of Europe. We are the many. We are the many. Even if he did hear... The Nazi warlord would probably still strike his posture of God-man and shout back, You are little people. You can't work out your own destinies. I do that for you. Remember that. You will not dare to doubt. There must be no defiance, no dissatisfaction. You are little people, and you will submit. But they do doubt and do defy. Yes, we are little people, but we are the many. That is the coming nightmare for the dictators. The growing storm. We are the many. You, the few swaggering conquerors. There's no room in a decent world for you and your kind. We little people, thousands, millions of us, will join together and crowd you out of our world. And if the dictator in his nightmare can find the speaker in the crowd of speakers and mock him out for death...
Why, then, another voice will speak. I take up his word. And I... Shoot us. One by one. There are not enough of you to shoot us all. And now you will hear from Wallace Buell, author of People Under Hitler and correspondent for the Chicago Daily News in Germany for six important years of Hitler's rise to power. Mr. Duell speaks to you from Washington. You have just heard a report on resistance of the common man, a story of the victories of the helpless but unbowed. It's a true story. Even as I am speaking to you, reports are coming in of increased resistance throughout Europe. Alone, of course, it is not enough to win this war but as an aid to those of us who have arms and can wage open war, it is an ally of great strength and unsurpassed valor. It is an important commentary on the German psychology that the Nazis did not anticipate such resistance. Drunk and blind with their mad theories of blood, race, and supermen, the Nazis despise the common man. To have such people resist is an insult and affront to them. To have that resistance effective enough in many cases to defeat their plans and alter their timetable of conquest is incredible and somehow frightening. It is not logical. It is not in their pattern of order and obey. It is outside their understanding, and so they made their great mistake of not anticipating it and their greater of not knowing how to handle it. I appeared first on this radio program on its opening night a year ago. In the years since then, 52 programs have been presented to you, each adding something to your knowledge of the enemy. And in that year, the resistance of which this anniversary program speaks has spread in a pattern rightly becoming a nightmare to the enemy. As our understanding of the enemy increases and our allies' resistance to them spreads, these two great forces, knowledge of the means of victory and refusal to accept defeat, will merge into an irresistible tide of action and triumph. We wish to thank Wallace Duell for his appearance tonight. Nathan Van Cleve composed the music and conducted the orchestra. The script was written by Dorothea J. Lewis. The entire production was under the direction of Frank Telford. The following actors participated in tonight's broadcast. Frank Gallup, Agnes Young, Mitzi Gould, John Gibson, Roger DeCobin, E.A. Krumschmidt, Jack Smart, Stephen Schnabel, Richard Sanders, Lawson Zerby, Patsy O'Shea, and Ronnie Litt.
This is Mutual.